So we talked some about your research. So what's kind of like a day in the life of of you at Nationwide Children's Hospital? And maybe and maybe there's uh, a study that you did that you're particularly proud of as mm-hmm. sort of improving patient outcomes and things like that. So I run a genetic diagnostic lab. So we're a clinical lab that's part of the hospital. So if a physician or a nurse practitioner or a genetic counselor feels their patient could have a genetic disorder, they'll have that individual's blood drawn, or if it's a cancer, they'll have a part of that sent to us. We'll extract DNA from that, extract RNA, and then we'll do testing to look for underlying changes in that person's genome that may relate to whatever disorder their doctor or nurse or genetic counselor thinks they might have. Um, So on a day-to-day basis, my job is working with a lot of our technicians as they're performing the tests to make sure that everything is working accordingly. When they get the results, I have to go through and interpret them to see is it a positive result, is it a negative result, have all of our controls worked appropriately, are we using appropriate laboratory standards, because what we do is very regulated to make sure that it's accurate. And that's the key with diagnostics. As you know, Chris, in research, if you get something to work like once or twice or three times, you're set. You get the result, you get that answer, you move on to the next thing. With diagnostics, we have to have a little bit different ideology because every time we do it, we have to make sure it works exactly the same way as the time before so all of our results are highly accurate. So what's the the research aspect then? So, I mean, obviously, you know, there's specific things you guys know to look for, but Mm -hmm. presumably there's other things where you're sort of trying to to push the boundaries of, of what we know. And Absolutely. We know. And because there's so much we don't know about the human genome, we'll at times make findings. We'll see things in an individual's genome, whether it's a change, whether it's a deletion where they've lost a portion of their genome, or a duplication where they've actually gained a duplicate part of a portion of their genome. And we don't understand what that means in relation to what that phenotype, what that disorder they have right. is. So a lot of my research is accumulating these cases with unknown findings and trying to tease apart commonalities that then relate to a genetic syndrome or disorder. Um, boy, and, and if you look at the history of my publications, it's just a number of these papers where mm-hmm. we've been able to identify changes in one gene or changes in a part of a genome that we now know are associated with a disorder. So three or four years ago, that finding might have been an unknown result. But now, thanks to our research, now this individual will have an actual diagnosis. So, so is it kind of like, you know, these four patients have kind of the same symptoms and, and you look at the genome and notice that they have these same, you know, yeah, it's genetic exactly like that. Yeah. I mean, is, is it, I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it's kind of an abstract thing. You know, you're looking at all these numbers and, and right. base pairs and things like that. But I mean, how, how satisfying is it to you to, to kind of, to figure those things out? I mean, what does it feel like? Oh, it's, it's excellent. I mean, and really that's what got me into diagnostics. Um, the, the laboratory that I worked in as a graduate student was a diagnostic lab. Even though I was just doing research, I was doing clinical research with the idea that my results would be used then to create new diagnostic tests. And you got to see that not only is your research important, like any research is, in pushing the understanding of a particular field, but my results were directly going into patient care. 
And I really liked mm-hmm. that part of it. So I, I always joke that with my job, I get to do everything. I get to do research. I get to discover new things. I get to publish. I get to do diagnostic work where I'm directly helping people understand what's causing the issues that they have. And I get to teach as well. So I'm helping to train that next generation of scientists who will replace you and I once we get old and crusty. Right. <laughs> More crusty than More we are crusty, already. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you when you sort of crack the code i mean does that just sort of explain why the patient has the symptoms and there's nothing they can do about it or is there sometimes it really does well definitely the the key is that what can they do about it Mm -hmm. um and and that's what we're all shooting for is not only do we want to understand what's causing this in us we want to know what can we do to correct it to alleviate it Um, With a lot of cancer syndromes, if we can understand that you have a predisposition to develop a particular type of cancer, then you could have screenings done to make sure that if it does develop, we pick it up as early as possible because that's when treatment's going to be the most effective. Has your genome been sequenced? My whole genome has not been sequenced. I've done a lot of stuff (laughs) on myself, but I've not had the whole thing sequenced. What have you done on yourself? um, Oh, I've done a ton of stuff. I've got pictures of my karyotype in my office. Um, Of course. Of course he does. Of course I do, yes. Um, When I was training for my job... Um, we routinely will use control samples of various individuals in the lab. Very superior human beings. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, But uh, there was an X-linked disorder, so the gene for this disorder is on the X chromosome, and I was using myself as a control, and people were really mad because I kept coming up with all of these changes that none of our other controls have. Interestingly enough, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, so my mom's mom, was an American Indian. So I attribute that I have a lot of interesting American Indian polymorphisms from the Chippewa tribe. She was Chippewa on my X chromosome that nobody else, none of our other controls had. But I was a problem case because of that. And eventually they said, we can't use you anymore. You're just you're too complicated. So they they threw me out. Huh. I was rejected for my genetics. <laughs> But do you do you like scour your genetics to try to see what disorders you might develop later in life? And what's your attitude about Well, that? and see, that's an interesting question. Do you want to know what disorders you'll develop later in life? Um, when uh, James Watson, very famous individual, Watson and Crick, they, along with uh, Rosalind Franklin, discovered the structure of DNA. He was one of the first individuals to have his genome sequenced, but he specifically required them to remove certain regions of the genome, of his genome, from the data because he didn't want to know about adult-onset dementia and things like that. Um, So it's a question of what do you want to know? What are you going to do with that information? I am extremely thankful that at my age of 46, I'm a relatively healthy, robust individual. So I don't necessarily have any indications that make me think I'm at a predisposition for a genetic syndrome. Um, So I'm just, I'm not that curious to know a ton. Now, We have very close friends who has a son who has a lot of um, developmental issues, and they have had his genome sequenced because they have very specific reasons for wanting to know. I'm curious more about my ancestry, and and at some point I may have ancestry testing done. Um, I'd like to see a little more data on my, especially my American Indian lineages. Do do you think as a 
do you think that those ancestry tests are, are valid? The, the ones you can just sort of go online and well, they certainly aren't the level of accuracy that you will see in a clinical diagnostic lab because that's not asked of them. Clinical labs are actually regulated under a government act. It's called the CLIA Act to require us to have laboratory standards that are as accurate and reliable as ours are. Ancestry testing doesn't follow under those guidelines, so they don't have to be. So what you see is each of the companies, if you have your testing done, will give you slightly different results because they're using slightly different methodologies, slightly different methods of analysis, and those then give you slightly different results. For the major populations, like I'm Caucasian, I would get back a majority of my genome is likely Caucasian. And that would probably be for whatever company I went with. It would be for the more subtle things that they would vary greatly. In my case, that would actually be really important to me because that's what I'm interested in knowing more about my Would they pick American up the Indian part, do you think? Or? They would pick yeah. it up. It would be a question of, because they report to you a percent. So what percent mm. American Indian are you? So that would probably vary. That percentage would vary from company to company to company. Um, whereas that's different from a diagnostic lab because we can't vary our results like that. We have to be accurate. Sure. Um, so it, the, the ancestry testing, things like that, it's fun if you just understand it's not exact in that sense. It's more broadly uh, results that they're giving you. Um, and forgive me if this is too... Oh, we'll, we'll lay it all out um, here for you guys today. But, uh, but you mentioned Star Trek oh, earlier. Yes. Um, and... Uh, as not so long ago, Neil deGrasse Tyson was asked uh, if it was if it was the Starship Enterprise versus the Millennium Falcon, uh, who would win? Uh, controversially, I might add, he said that it would be the Starship Enterprise that would that would win the day. And uh, I was wondering, I was wondering your thoughts on on this cosmic dilemma. We find ourselves in. Well, I think there's a number of levels you can look at that question on, but I think in general you got to come out on the side of the enterprise. I don't think there's any any other way right. of looking at it. All right, lay it out for us, and I, I'll explain why you're wrong. Well, there's <laughs> there, there's a number. Like I said, there's a number of ways you could look at this. One, you can look at your connection to the properties themselves. There's Star Trek and there's Star Wars. As a child of the 70s, I was there religiously watching Star Trek every day. My mom would give me an hour of TV a day, and that was it. And my hour was going to Trek. Um, well, what's the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars? I mean, for, I mean like, over, broadly well, speaking. Star Trek uh, is an attempt at presenting something of a realistic depiction of science exploration. It's and as Gene Roddenberry created it, it's a mirror to take science fiction and show us who we are as a species. What does it mean to really be human? He always quoted that human experiment. Um, whereas Star Wars is more of a fantasy. It's about the characters and the relationships and and in some ways the familial dysfunction of the Skywalker clan and all of that wrapped into a galactic battle because apparently if you're anakin skywalker the one way to unite the force is to kill all the jedis so so yes. I, I i want i want us to lay out exactly what the because it, on the surface it seems like they're both space battles right so let's right. let's talk about 
One of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, probably your, one of your favorites too, was the episode where Captain Kirk is on this like lizard planet thing. Do you remember that episode? Arena, yes. We have to battle Arena. the Gorn. Yes. Okay. Yes. So what's the premise? Here? So the premise is that we've established an outpost on this planetoid, and we're there colonizing it. And the Enterprise shows up, and the outpost has been wiped off the face of the planet. And the Enterprise is like, whoa, what's going on here? So then there's, so the Enterprise sees a ship, takes off after the ship. They're going to do battle. But of course, as happens in Star Trek, a superior race stops all this and says, no, this isn't cool. We're going to take one human, Kirk, and one of the Gorn, the Gorn captain. It's always the captain. Like, always oh, the just captain. send the captain. You're exactly. Send one guy. No, because really, yeah. You, you don't get a of pick. Course. Shouldn't you get to pick? I, I That's more fair. Spock at least a few times. <laughs> but they put all the, both those guys on this planet and say, you know what? You two go at it. And whoever wins, your ship gets to go on. Whoever loses, we're going to destroy your ship. Pretty high stakes. Right. So, and then, so then Captain Kirk starts off fisticuffs trying oh, to... Oh, yeah. The, he's know. walking around. He's looking for, like, a big stick he could whack the Gorn with. And the Gorn is there trying to, to carve a, like, metallic or, or a crystal knife out of rock. So they're going very much, like, brutal physical combat to begin with. And, uh, see, Michelle, it's worth telling the episode because I don't think any human being left on the planet is going to bother to go back and watch it. <laughs> Probably not. I, it's fair. It's fair. Um, but I, I, as the story goes, Kirk gives up on the, the hyper-masculine Well, he gets his butt force. kicked. Yeah. The brute force approach. Fisticuffs does not work. Yeah. And instead he turns to science. So... He finds minerals because the superior beings have said, we've given you this planet that has all the stuff you need to win the battle. Which they initially think, oh, is clubs and rocks and things like that. But Kirk, using his higher reasoning, figures out, ah, there's all the makings of gunpowder. Yep. So he could build a cannon. It's kind of like MacGyver. Big, a little bit, yeah. sexy, ripped <laughs> shirt, futuristic right. MacGyver. Yes. So therein lies the difference between. So Michelle, there's therein lies the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars, and so we have a firm vote for Starship. <laughs> I, I hate to, to dash your Star. hopes, but yeah, I'm, I'm going the okay. Enterprise. Well, I think Michelle and I are more on the Millennium Falcon side of things. Yeah. The uh, sorry. The. The hyperdrive has its disadvantages the warp drive, but you know what? It works when it needs to. It does. It does. Did you guys enjoy Rogue One? Yeah, after my kids explained it to me. <laughs> <laughs> because I was still wanting a little bit more of the old. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and so I, when they explained it to me as more, it's kind of a standalone and connected to some of the other fan stuff i was like okay i can see it for what it is and appreciate it and enjoyed mm -hmm. it so yes you want to give any shout outs to any other sci-fi films that oh boy yeah um like good ones or bad ones well ones i don't know i mean maybe maybe ones people haven't quite heard of but um I still say, oh, and I'm blanking on the title, I still say the best depiction of science ever put down in film is the Michael Crichton movie about the disease outbreak. 
and I'm totally blanking on the name Prey? of it, and I can't believe that. It was oh. it's a, a an early one from the late 1960s. Oh, Andromeda Strain. Andromeda Strain. That to me is the best depiction of science because you have the characters actually look like real people. These are not beautiful people. Mm-hmm. They are reasoning through discovering what the virus is and trying to figure out how to cure it. They disagree with one another, but they respect one another. That, to me, is a phenomenal depiction of science on the screen. I also very much liked uh, Gravity. Was mm-hmm. it Gravity? Oh, no, no. Um, sorry. Um, what was the Mars movie with Matt Damon? The Martian. The Martian. I very much like that. Um, I, I, I really I enjoyed his personal struggle with everything he went through. Um, I thought they depicted failures very well, mm-hmm. uh, which often doesn't get done. Right. Uh, and yeah. I really liked that That's part true. of it. So those are two that, that yeah. stand out for me as like go-to. If you want to watch good yeah. science films, watch those. Uh, so so before we before we uh, had our, our separate ways, the so you're moving. I am, yes. Um, and we're, on behalf of Columbus, we're shocked and appalled and saddened. <laughs> I'm very sad to go. It's very hard to pull up roots. I mean, you and I, Chris, work at the Steam Factory. I have lots of different projects and programs here that I absolutely hate to leave. But uh, there's a new program they're starting in genetics in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And they recruited me to go and work there. Um, and so, yeah, so we've, we've been here for for a while. I mean, what what's... Um... I just want to give you a chance to kind of just give a kind of a shout out to to the people that have been involved and and in, in your life here and and oh I mean, man how, how long do we have? <laughs> oh, gosh. And, um, and really, it's and we say this in science all the time, but it's all about the collaborations that you put together. I mean, you and I before we started this, we're talking uh, about ways right. that astronomy on tap that you're helping to run. I helped to run the Columbus Science Pub. How we can start right. to work together like that. Well, I, I think it should be said, you know, that the that the the public, the science public outreach community was just nothing like it was when you started here. I mean, no. you really put a lot of work into it, and it's really become quite a thing. It, it is really um, there is a core group of us that know each other well, and we have formed such a great network in outreach. You know, Paul Sutter is excellent. Jason with Bird Polar, so many people through the Steam Factory. It, Columbus is really beginning, and, and and this is my soapbox I'm getting up on now, but we're really beginning to, to develop a community engaged in science here through all of this outreach. And I've never experienced that in any other community I've lived in. And it's such a resource for Columbus that I, I really hope continues to be fostered. Yeah, well we're, well, we're very fortunate that you've decided to put roots here as long as you did and to invest as much in the, in the science uh, it's, stuff that it's, done. it's an awesome so, community here um yeah it'll be sad to to see you go so you'll well, be missed thank you so so uh i think we should probably wrap up with the um thanks thanks for coming around well I have, thank you for having me. this has a, been a great conversation with you guys so it's it's been great having you here. It's been great uh, being a good sport for our podcast, which is still getting off the ground. Um, 
but it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's good. Good us, luck so. with it. We need more outreach like this, getting science to people. So thank you guys for putting this together. Absolutely. Thanks for being here.